This is the School Success Podcast, a podcast for school leaders to learn from other school leaders what's working and what's not, and to get inspiration and encouragement, as well as strategies to grow school enrollment, connect with families, retain teachers, recruit teachers, and everything in between. You guys are heroes, and I cannot thank you enough for pouring into this next generation that's coming behind us. My goal is you will take at least one thing away from every episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. Please enjoy the School Success Podcast. In just a few moments, you're going to hear from Sharia, who is the head of school at the Montessori School in Michigan. We dive into what's working, what's not, some encouragement from her for other school leaders who are listening in. She is a delight, and we have a blast on this one. So stay tuned in just a few moments for the next episode of the School Success Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the School Success Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Slater. I'm joined by a new friend out of beautiful Michigan, Sharia, who is head of school at the Montessori School. She goes way back in Michigan. She's gone to school there, college there. I think she even got her, she's got her master's, which she can dive into all of that. She's got two kids, a husband, and she is all in in the Montessori education system, and we're going to learn from her today, but I will let her introduce herself first. So, Sharia, welcome to the podcast. Podcast. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'd love you to, to just kind of dive in. Let's learn a little bit about you first before we dive into your school and, and leading the school and what that looks like. So tell us, what do you like to do for fun? Where'd you go to school and all that fun stuff? Absolutely. So um, I went to school locally here in Kalamazoo, and then um, I went online for my teacher education program through Western Governors University, but I received my master's locally here at Western Michigan. And I have a master's in educational leadership, K-12 principalship. Um, for fun, I love to spend time with my kids. We love to be outdoors. We love camping and hunting and fishing and all of those kind of things. We like watching race, racing and race cars. So, <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. Well, I obviously have a ton of education. Uh, none of those I saw in the name, of course, had like the word Montessori in it. So I'd love to see how did you... How did you get into Montessori and did that, did your education truly complement getting into Montessori? Sure. So I actually, um, I taught through public schools for about 10 years, got into different leadership roles once I received my master's and was kind of looking for what the next thing to do was. So um, I always taught what I thought was like a Montessori method. I always taught hands-on and student-led and outdoor environments, um, but never really knew there was a title for it. So um, I got offered um, the job to come and do an interview for a Montessori school by a colleague who knew they were hiring. And as soon as I did the very first interview and met with the board, we just knew it was meant to be. So it was everything I was looking for. It was everything that I've always believed in and taught and preached to others. Um, so it just kind of felt, it felt perfect. So from there, I um, started doing Montessori trainings. I started doing um, different professional development, trying to further myself within the Montessori admin level. Um, and kind of just went from there. Man, did you feel like it was at all culture shock to switch from, I guess, obviously probably how you were raised as well as how you were educated to now switching into the head of school in Montessori was, was it a bit of a culture shock or just like little bits and pieces for you? I would say little bits and 
pieces. So, um, you know, it's it's how I thought, you know, students were meant to learn. It's how I, I'm very passionate about it. Um, what was a little bit of a culture shock is for uh, eight of those years of, or sorry, seven of those years of teaching, um, I taught for a Head Start program. So it was students that were, um, for the most part, high poverty. So going from students where I didn't always have a lot of parent support, um, students were struggling to have their basic needs met. Um, it, was, it was pretty eye-opening going from that setting to a setting where you know it's private school, um, we're a nonprofit, but it's a tuition-based school. A lot of parents are volunteering; they're super involved. Um, so it was a different, a different mindset, and it, it's a great change. Um, but it, it was a little bit different, you know, those bits and pieces. But for the most part, it was very familiar. Felt okay. right at home as almost as soon as I started. So. And just in case anybody's listening to the podcast and not familiar with the Montessori, and probably most people have heard the name of it, but if you were to give like the 30-second description of Montessori, if somebody didn't know what it was, what would you say that was? Absolutely. So Montessori is a teaching method. It was developed in 1972 by um, Dr. Maria Montessori, and it goes over the way students learn. So students are learning hands-on. They are learning um, a lot of outdoor learning and bringing the outdoors in. They are, it's all the lessons are student-led. Um, they get choices throughout the day. So um, we often differentiate instruction and meet each child where they're at. So the same child can be learning with a material that is taught six or seven different ways. So students can be using the same material but at all different levels. So it also uses a lot of nature-based materials, a lot of wood. It, we, in general, in addition to our curriculum, we also do grace and courtesy lessons. So the students are learning to be a good civilized human. They're learning manners. They are learning um, what we call, we have a whole area called practical life, where they are learning practical life as far as concentration and focusing and you know, pouring and using glass containers and being, you know, gentle with things, cleaning up after themselves, all in addition to, you know, math and literacy. Um, so it, it's a, a pretty cool experience to see. Um, for anyone that's not familiar, I always recommend doing a tour because it is very eye-opening. And I think what I love, what I love about Montessori, just the, I think sometimes people don't give kids enough credit for what they can do i guess on their own at a young age like my my son who's now two and a half now he started cooking with me at like one and a half ish like i'd have him up by the stove and i'd have him stir something or i'd have him like and he loved he loved it loved making it helping make it is his scrambled eggs in the morning and my wife does the pouring and we like it was all these weird things going wait why would i do this to a kid for instance like giving him a glass cup to drink out of when he was a 18 months old or whatever i was like why why would you do that it's like because he's dropped about two i think we've lost two or three glass cups so far <laughs> in his lifetime and uh but like learning that the basic things of you know giving them more credit i guess than they than they absolutely deserve. so we're really big on teaching those independent skills but also showing them that they have potential we just need to encourage them so typically you see you know a two or a three year old and they're trying to zip their coat and they're struggling with it what do you do you walk over you zip it let's go mm -hmm. so what we're doing is we are having 
Um, we have different things in the classroom to practice zipping and buttoning and tying wherever skill set they're at. And then we are encouraging them. So instead of just doing it for them, we're going to walk them through the steps. Remember, we pull this part of the zipper down and put the next piece in and then pull up at the same time. And we're encouraging them. And then when they're able to do it, we make a big deal out of it. And, you know, oh, my goodness, you did it. That's amazing. So it's really cool to see just how their independence and their confidence grows by being able to do things on their own. Um, you know, and part of that too, they get a list each day with their work cycle. Here's the things you need to work on today, but they get to go and choose, what do I want to do first? I know I have to do all of these things. So they have their list, they get to choose, and this starts at, you know, we are preschool through sixth grade, but this starts with our preschoolers. So they get to choose, and if someone else is at the item that they needed to go to. They do problem solving and work through, well, maybe I can do this first and let you have a turn here. And we help, you know, facilitate those conversations and help them problem solve as well. Love it. I love it. Well, being a private school, uh, I know you came from a non-private school sector. So how, how was that transition of going, oh, like we're not getting money from enrollment from the, from the state or whatever. Now we're doing it strictly private. Has that been a, quite a different transition as well? It has. It has. It's, I think, uh, you know, one of the challenges in general with nonprofits is always funding. You know, you have a budget, you have to fit within certain amounts. Something that I always did when I did work for public schools is I was always really big on finding different um, grants, on finding different ways to get materials, on finding different businesses to donate. So I was able to use that um, when I did come to private school to kind of help me. So it helps me to, when I'm reviewing the budget, finding different ways to do things. With COVID this year, a lot of our fundraisers that bring in money for the school haven't been able to happen. So numbers are really high here in Michigan. So um, a lot of people aren't comfortable doing in-person events. So I found really unique ways to do it virtually to still be able to bring funding in. I applied for multiple grants so that I could help out our staff and help out our program. So I think it's just, you know, finding ways to make things work. So, you know, in a private school, there's always going to be the issue of budgeting and funding. And I think, you know, just being savvy with what you have and then finding finding those opportunities and having a good team as well. So I have people that say, hey, I found a grant. What can I do to apply for this? I had a family member last week that was interested in our tuition assistance, and she found a grant where you can apply for tuition assistance dollars for your school. And she goes, can I help fill out this grant information? I'm like, absolutely. Like The things that they do to help us too are amazing. That That is awesome. I didn't even think about diving into to fundraising, real quick, just out of curiosity, what is your your go-to fundraiser that your favorite? Maybe you haven't been able to do it since COVID, but what's like the number one fundraiser that you guys love to do and works? And or maybe it's two if you have two, but what's that number one? So we we I would say we have two, but um, one of them is the we call it the main event. It is our main fundraising event. Haven't been able to hold it for the last few years, but we'll be holding it this May. And it is an adult-only fundraising event. We have multiple business sponsors who will sponsor different parts of the evening. So they'll sponsor the entertainment. They'll sponsor the name tags or um, sponsor the food and the appetizers. And we hold it at um, a location 
and it's you know appetizers and beverages and music and during all of that there are silent auction items and at the end of the night there's a live auction so we have families that own businesses that are contributing you know a basket with gift cards and items we have for the live auction it's usually bigger items such as you know, a private dinner in your home cooked by a celebrity chef or, you know, different things like that. So it, it helps us all, all of the money because the costs are all sponsored by businesses. All of the funds come into our school. Um, oh our other big event, event is um, Oktoberfest. And typically that's kind of like a fall festival where families come and we have different events and we have games for the kids. Our um, community, we didn't feel safe doing that this year, so we did an online raffle baskets, and all of the kids decorated and created and planned and made their own scarecrows. So each class auctioned off a scarecrow, and the kids were really, you know, telling their parents, you've got to get our scarecrow, and really excited about it because they were really cool. And so all the families, you know, got to bid on different things on an online auction site, and that helped raise money for our school. Those are two really good ones. All right. No, thanks for sharing on those. The Diving into some of the nitty-gritty stuff. So obviously the last two years, everybody knows, it's been really interesting, especially for education. And was do we do remote learning? Do we do in-person? All that. But what would you say for your school and your school leadership there? What are the three kind of biggest pain points you guys are either have gone through or currently going through right now? If you could, If you could narrow it down to three. If I can narrow it down to three, I would say, you know, COVID in general, um, staff shortages, and staff morale. I think those are the, the, three, the three big ones right now. Okay. And then for staff shortages, is it for you guys as a Montessori school, do you require certain things for a teacher that just make it harder to get somebody because they, do they need to know Montessori to be hired or is that something they can learn after the fact? Well, initially to hire in general, we have a pretty lengthy process. So if someone were to, um, if we're hiring someone new, they have to have two sets of fingerprints, a background check, a TB test, you know, there's um, trainings they have to do. So even when we do hire someone, they can't start right away. It does take at least a couple of weeks to get all of that done. Um, our process for hiring is usually staff will start as classroom assistants if they're not Montessori trained. We send them to a training. It is a, a two to three day weekend long training where they learn about the Montessori methods, the missions, the methodology behind all of it, the materials, get trained on all of what we call the basics. From there, we can actually sponsor staff members to do their uh, schooling to be a Montessori accredited lead guide. So in addition to having a teaching degree, they would need to receive our Montessori training um, in order to be able to be a lead guide in a classroom. So it does take a little bit more to, you know, find a teacher, which, you know, the shortages are out there for everybody, but especially with us because we want someone that is teaching the Montessori method. Okay. No, makes total sense. Well, with, with COVID, I know you mentioned earlier, the numbers are high there in Michigan. So, and COVID being one of those pain points. So how are you guys as a school navigating, navigating that specifically? Sure. So we are really open with our families and we have a COVID protocol for both our elementary and our primary building. We keep them up to date weekly and post them on our website as well. But we are regularly communicating any changes with families. Our travel policies change all the time. Quarantine guidelines keep changing. 
So um, we talk and meet weekly with the local health department and we follow their guidance along with the CDC guidelines for schools and we tend to follow the more strict of the guidelines. So um, a lot of families have chosen to stay with our program or have specifically left public school and come to our program because our policies tend to make them feel a little bit more comfortable. So, um, you know, our, we're still completely masked and some of the neighboring um, counties are and some of them are not. And we, for our elementary, we do weekly testing to catch those asymptomatic cases as well. We have heightened cleaning procedures. So, you know, those kind of things help but you know, COVID in general, it also plays into those staff shortages. When you have staff that need to quarantine or have dependent children that they have to stay home with, and so we always just try to let you know let our families know, you know, we're going to have this person out this week. We'll make sure things are covered, or sorry, something's changing. Mm -hmm. So we just make sure to have that good open communication so that they feel supported in these crazy times. And I feel like with Montessori, because I, I actually wanted to ask. Um, the school our son goes to how they did how they did Montessori learning remotely when COVID first started and the whole world shut down. I was like, how do you how do you do that or can you even do that? Do you do you remember what you guys did two years ago when kind of the whole world shut down? Like initially, how you did Montessori learning remotely if that was a thing? Sure. So I was not here yet, but I can okay. definitely share with you what they did. So Michigan, we had a stay at home order, so we had to we had to close. Um, for a few weeks, and then most of the schools remained closed for a little longer than that. Our program, it was a struggle, you know, being virtual. We tried to do some um, some lessons just to be talking and to be having those interactions. But what we did is we eliminated lunch and lunch recess, and we did half days. So when you take away lunch and you take away lunch recess and all of the transitions in between, the loss of learning time wasn't very significant. So students were able to come either in the a.m. or in the p.m. and just have those, you know, work cycles. We call it an uninterrupted work cycle where they have a period of a few hours where they are just going through their studies and doing that. So our students were, we were one of the few schools that were able to remain open. In addition to that, we didn't have any cases um, during that first year of COVID. So that was really wonderful. Wow. Well, okay. You guys handled it really good. It sounds like, and it worked. Uh, well, going off of that, so the, well, I guess we didn't touch on staff morale. Well, we can touch on that one before we go into what's working, but so being a, a pain point right now, staff morale, how are you guys kind of navigating that is, at the moment? Sure. I think ultimately, you know, being, being there for people in general, not just because they're a staff member, not because they work here and you want them here daily, but just, the stress of living in these times and, you know, everybody has so much going on outside of here. You know, they have family members who are sick or high risk. And I think it's just really important to, you know, not just say, what can I do to help but show? I want to help you. I'm going to, you know, cover an extra break. I'm going to make sure you get breakfast today because your morning was rushed. You know, just being as supportive as possible if there's things that they really need. I always try to remember, you know, I'm sure you've heard it, the tip of the iceberg. You know, an iceberg, that very small amount is above the water, and that is what you see. But there is so much more underwater that you have no idea. So, you know, I, I've, I've had a, a staff member, and I had no idea. You know, they were having a rough day. 
a family member was on a ventilator in the hospital. Another, another family member um, was just finishing up cancer treatments and had to go to a nursing home. And it was, you know, I, I had no idea all these other things were going on. And we're saying, hey, let's work on, you know, implementing something within your classroom. So as much as you want to be constantly helping people to grow and improve, now is not the time for book studies. Now is not the time for extra work. Now is not the time to say, "Let's." I'm going to send you. You need to go to a training, or you, it's mandatory. You need to stay after here, here, and here. I think it's really just getting to know your staff, getting to know, you know, what what they have going on outside of here, so that you can help to improve that morale. You know, I can bring in all the cookies, donuts, and, and breakfast and lunches. And that's not what's going to fill everyone's bucket. So just finding what they need in these times, and it's almost always, you know, support and social, emotional, just being there for them. Man, and you you mentioned something just a, like a minute ago that made me remember some of the best advice I ever got was so five years ago or so. I was a youth pastor at a church in Alaska, and my pastor's brother-in-law passed away like right after church service, he was our worship pastor. He passed away like heart attack two hours later after the service, like crazy. And obviously he was, you know, just in shock of it. And I was talking to a friend of mine and I was like, well, I want to like help, but I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to do right now. And I was like, I was going to ask if he wanted me to preach this coming weekend for him so he could take a break. She goes, don't ask him, tell him you're going to preach for him on Sunday for the next two Sundays. You know, she goes, people in that, that time, they don't, they're going through a ton of stuff. They don't know how to really respond at the moment. And they're probably just going to be like, I'm fine. I can do it. So I was like, uh, all right, I'll try. So I was like, hey, just so you know, Pastor Ed, I'm preaching the next two weekends for you. And he just said, thank you. And it wasn't until months later, he was like, that meant so much to me that you just told me you were going to do something instead of asking, like, if you guys a teacher going through a lot going, hey, can I get you a meal? Like, no, I'm good. Instead, you just go, here's a lasagna for dinner tonight. I know you're going through a lot. Like the the thinking ahead and seeing, I know somebody's going through a lot and kind of hitting them there instead of asking, just doing. I, so you referenced that and I was like, that is super duper good advice that I think works. That's my philosophy. Totally. So if you just say, Oh, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. They're never going to tell you. So I had um, a staff member who wasn't from around here and over our winter break got COVID and they couldn't go home for the holidays. And so Christmas Eve, I said, well, what do you like for dinner? I'm bringing you a plate. And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, you don't have to do that. It's Christmas. I'm like, no, it's Christmas Eve. You're, you're having dinner. Do you like this? We, you, you know, is this something you'll eat? And, you know, took it over there. And I think that that's also being a good example, you know, for our children and stuff too, is just showing other people kindness that, you know, no matter what the minor inconvenience is, it's a huge help to somebody that's going through a hard time. And I think in general during COVID, that's something so important to remember is just doing things for others without, you know, any expectation of anything in return, but just, you know, leading by example. There's a lot of sad, crazy things going on right now. And just being the light in all of that, I think is, is very important. I love that. No, that's good. Well, if we talk about the things that aren't working or not working, but pain points and stuff, what's working? What's like, man, we are crushing these three things. If you could put it into three that the Montessori school is doing awesome at. I would say our student success levels, parent satisfaction rates, and our, en our enrollment. Those are our three areas we always try to hit real hard, and they seem to be working for us. 
Um, so for student success levels, I know I hit on this a little bit at the beginning. We're really big on differentiating instruction, meeting each child where they're at. We do a lot of one-on-one -on -one lessons, small group lessons. And um, due to our program layout, these are things that we're still learning at an accelerated rate. You know, our students are still coming. They're coming each day prepared and ready to learn. We're still able to meet with them. Our staff even do, you know, one-on-one -on -one student conferences. So in addition to parent-teacher conferences, they're meeting with the students and saying, where do you want to set your goals? Where do you want to grow? Oh, you're doing fractions. What's the next step? Where do you think, you know, you are in that process? And really, you know, pushing them. So when we do, we, we do do the national um, testing to be able to compare to other schools. There's not as much pressure on it because we don't receive funding for it like a public school does. Um, but we do it to see how we how we rate. And every year we, we rate way above um, the public schools in our area and in our state because those students are getting, you know, that additional instruction that, you know, when we differentiate a, a typical, you know, second grader reading, maybe reading at a fourth or a fifth grade level. They may be, you know, maybe they're a little bit lower in math. So, okay, we're going to concentrate and focus on math more with you, and you're going to do more works in math and, you know, a little less in literacy. We know you're doing great in literacy, but, you know, we just kind of even it out, and everyone has those goals set for them. So it's really amazing to see how, how great our kids are doing and how much they love learning because we install that in them at a very young age. I love it. All right, well, then you mentioned also – uh, parent, you said parent is involvement or you said parent satisfaction. So how, how do you guys um, gather that data? Do you guys send out regular surveys to parents or just feedback from them directly? Yeah. So typically um, we do an end of the year parent survey with the times this year, I created a mid-year survey. I wanted to see what families were thinking, be able to make changes if there were areas that they were not feeling involved in or weren't having good experiences in. I didn't want to wait till the end of the year and say, oh, well, we'll fix it for next year. So partway through the year this year, I sent a, a survey out for families and I allowed it to be anonymous as well. So I always think that's really important when doing surveys so that they can tell you the truth. And our survey results were amazing. They gave great comments. I was able to meet with our leadership staff and go over areas of growth, areas they were doing amazing. And that was, I mean, that was cool too, is to be able to give them that feedback. You know, a family said this about you. A family appreciates that you would go above and beyond and do this. And that was just kind of a good compliment to them, just getting those positive comments. Our families are always really involved. If I say, hey, we need someone... This morning, we, we needed help with testing students um, on our Monday testing in elementary, and we had families signing up to come on in and help test students and, um, you know, take an hour out of their morning to help us um, when we need help on fundraising committees or donating raffle baskets or sponsoring materials. Those parents are always, you know, first to sign up because they love our school, they're passionate about our school, and they feel involved. So I think, you know, making sure to have that open communication, to keep them involved and making sure that they know that their opinion is valued. That is super valuable feedback to get from the parents directly. We do the same thing for, for clients. Like if, if, if we're not doing something right, we want to hear from a client because we don't, if we don't ask for it and we don't hear about it, how are we supposed to improve as you know a company? The same with you guys as a school. If you can hear from, oh man, 
30 families think we should do this differently or whatever. Like, well, obviously you guys are going to go, how we, how do we do that? How do we fix that? I just, I'm glad you guys are doing that super valuable. Do you guys use something like just Google forms or something for getting that feedback from them? Yeah. So we use survey monkey. Um, so we can create it and then edit it over the years to make it so that it still pertains if things have changed. Um, it also is able to then convert into graphs and charts so we can look at growth in that way as well. Um, so we like using that. And I'm a big believer of being proactive and combating things before they become an issue, you know, before you get a review left that's negative. It's something that you should have already known about. So if you can be proactive going forth, then you also, it helps to, you know, you can meet with families if they have an issue going on or if they are dissatisfied in any area. Man, awesome. Well, you mentioned also student uh, enrollment is also high and up. Are you guys one of the schools that if you don't get in by preschool, you're not getting a spot if you try and come in at second grade? Yep. So we always have a wait list, which is amazing, but we only have so many spots available. So during the height of COVID, we had to close some classrooms. Enrollment numbers were low and we are we had such a great wait list this year. We started enrollment early so that we could start getting families enrolled off the wait list, getting their spots secured for next fall for the 22-23 school year. So something that we've always looked at in the past is once we open enrollment, how many families are we retaining? How many families that are here are staying here, not switching elsewhere, which you do have to account moving and you know, job situations and different things like that. But here we are in January still, and we already are retaining over 73% of our students. And they haven't even all finished enrolling. You know, we're in January looking at the end of next, you know, end of this upcoming August, and that is the highest our re-enrollment has ever been. So we're, we're really excited about that. It's showing those families are satisfied. It's showing that what we're doing works. It's showing that those students are involved in, in loving our school. So um, we're really excited about that. Is that something you guys are looking to expand to offer to, you know, be able to serve more kids or to start going above sixth grade to go to the rest of middle school? Or what are you guys, what's kind of the future for the school? Sure. So our long-term um, ideas and dreams, and we'd like to have an infant toddler program. Right now we start at two years, nine months. Um, it's an additional licensing add-on and we have to have staff trained in that specific area. Um, we also have a staff member that's finishing up schooling for elementary lead guide, but she's also doing what we call elementary two, where she could teach a junior high. So that is something that we are interested in, in, in the long term to be able to expand our program. Do you guys have the, the land to build or the space already, or is that something you have to move? You know, I think that in, in the area we're in, um, we have a beautiful pond property that is a natural, we're a um, certified wildlife school, green school. We have a lot of open space. Um, maybe something could be built there. I also always think maybe we could build up. We'll see what the city okay. says and have a second story. So there's lots of ideas. You know, there's a lot of space around here too with the different things we could do, but it's definitely something that's been on our radar. I think there's a need for it in the community. We have a few private schools, but... Um, I think that our school is kind of the, the diamond in the rough and um, more and more people are becoming aware of it. Well, as we finish up the podcast, is there anything that you would want to leave with any other school leaders uh, that are listening on the podcast, any type of uh, encouragement, inspiration, anything you'd want to leave them with? 
Um, overall, I mean, I just think kind of touching back to what I said before, you know, being there for your staff, being there for your families and the students, everybody's going through a lot right now, just offering them grace, um, offering, you know, them your, your help in any way that you can in these crazy times. Like I said, now is not the time to be saying, here's a, a bunch extra you need to do to go above and beyond. It's meeting them where they're at and just being supportive. I think it is so important right now to just do those check-ins, to be there for them as, as a person, um, more than ever build those relationships because these times aren't easy for anybody. <laughs> I agree. Well, Sharia, you've been fantastic. You're doing obviously something super right there at the school. It's growing and it's successful. And obviously it shows in every aspect that you shared. So wish you guys nothing but the best. And uh, again, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. And um, hopefully we can we meet each other one day, maybe one of these Montessori conferences or something, and we'll, we'll cross paths, even though you're in Michigan and I'm in Florida. We'll hopefully cross paths one day, but thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Have a wonderful day. Well, a huge shout out to Sharia again for hopping on the School Success Podcast today. I learned a ton from her. I hope you guys did as well. And I always hope you learn at least one thing from the podcast. And maybe today it was how to treat your staff and how to build up staff morale a little bit more because we all know the last couple of years have been interesting to say the least. Sharia gave me permission to share her email if you guys are interested in reaching out to her for just giving her a big thank you or asking her any questions that you might have after listening to it today. Her email is headofschool at themontessorischool.org. That's headofschool at themontessorischool.org. And of course, you can visit them online, themontessorischool.org. I hope you guys had a blast just like I did. Again, Sharia, thanks so much for being on the podcast. We'll be here next time with another awesome guest on the School Success Podcast. We'll see you then.